This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit CanDoWealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by Katie Balls and James Forsyth. So James, today we had Rishi Sunak's first Prime Minister's questions. How do you think he did? So a new Prime Minister's first PMQs are both easy and difficult. They are easy to the extent that they tend not to have taken that many decisions in office that can be attacked. They are difficult in that in the new Prime Minister's first days in the job, there are a whole bunch of things that they have to do, which means that you your time is, is really eaten up and you're doing lots of stuff. So, you know, yesterday you had Rishi Sunak kind of goes to see King Charles, comes back to Downing Street, gives a speech there, then does a cabinet reshuffle, then calls President Zelensky and President Biden, speaks to the First Minister of Wales and Scotland, then has to do PMQs today. So, so, so that is the kind of the mixture of the challenges. Now, look, I've, I've known him for years, obviously, but I actually thought that the most encouraging thing for him from PMQs today was how the Tory benches rallied to him. Mm. The, 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 this, I think, is the happiest I've actually seen the Tory benches in quite some time. And that, I think, is key, because if the Tory party keeps fighting with each other, they're going to have no chance of, of getting things back on the road. I thought that was interesting. I also thought we saw a preview of the argument he wants to make against Keir Starmer, which is, which is an audacious move, which is to try and essentially say that, to flip the events of recent weeks and say, look, I was warning in the summer about this because I, I level with people. I tell people the truth. I don't try and peddle fairy tales. Which, again, the political risk in that is people say, well, hang on a second, you're essentially admitting, as you did in that Downing Street speech, that, that it was a Tory government that made some of these mistakes that have caused all these problems. But I think it shows that this is, this is how he try, he's going to try and pitch himself against Starmer. Katie, it also, not just the Tory backbenchers, but also seemed like Rishi Sunak himself was enjoying uh, the ding-dong. We can hear a bit of it here. Was his Home Secretary right to resign last week for a breach of security? He, he asked uh, about the Home Secretary. The Home Secretary made an error of judgment, but she recognised that. She raised the matter and she accepted her mistake. And that's why, that's why I was delighted to welcome back into a united cabinet that brings experience stability to the heart of government. And let me tell you, Mr Speaker, what the Home Secretary will be focused on. She'll be focused on cracking down on criminals, on defending our borders, while the party opposite remains soft on crime and in favour of unlimited immigration. But do you think any of Keir Starmer's attacks, for example, on Suella Braverman or on Rishi Sunak's former comments on deprived areas, do you think they landed? So it felt so Labour were just testing out a few different things. They have known for some time there was a good chance that Keir Starmer would face Rishi Sunak at Prime Minister's Questions, first, of course, with the summer leadership contest, and then when things started to look uh, as though they were going wrong for Liz Truss. So I think they have plenty stored up in their locker, and it felt to me as though it's just throwing a few things against the wall and seeing what stuck, seeing how Rishi Sunak fared with it. I think on the Suella Braverman appointment, that's clearly been the row of the day. Lots of people being critical, some from within the Tory party and some in the trust camp, questioning the wisdom of bringing Suella Braven back in so soon after she had to leave the role due to a security breach. And, of course, someone said, well, this was more to do this immigration round the background, but brought to, you know, 
you're hearing that Simon Case is unhappy and so forth. So it obviously goes a bit deeper. But that's a row that ultimately, I think Rishi Sunak and his team must have been able to see coming. They have just made the calculation that it is more important to have Suada Braveman in the tent, mm-hmm. in a senior role, someone who's seen as you know representative of bringing with her some of the right of the party and to face that row than, than to not. I think when it comes to the other questions... Probably the one I thought which was the most uncomfortable was when Keir Starmer asked about non-dom status. And that was clearly related to Rishi Sunak's wife and the big row about her tax affairs. And Labour want to abolish non-dom status, trying to press the, the Tories and Rishi Sunak to say, will you abolish non-dom status? Now that obviously puts him in a tricky position. But it was almost so Rishi Sunak hadn't heard the question. He just answered a different question. So he just <laughs> That's one tactic. <laughs> exactly, he just talked broadly about the economy. And it was fine in the moment. But I, I did wonder if Keir Starmer had responded by saying, in a different form of words, the same question again on non-doms, what would Rishi Sunak have done? Could we have just had a situation? And lots of people might have said, move on, Keir Starmer. This is actually not going to even raise that much money to the economy and there are bigger issues at hand. And this is, a, you know, that could have been it. Or it could have just looked to say, Rishi Sunak, will not engage with the question. If you remember when he was having, you know, when he had that scandal, which was really the first thing to really dent his popularity and he's written lots of writing him off for number 10. He, Rishi Sunak obviously struggled with talking about it as an issue. Um, he was obviously uncomfortable, very protective of his wife. And therefore the, he and his team will have to have, if Labour do want to go in and attack on it, which I think today's Prime Minister's questions suggest they think is a rich scene, particularly with their policy, they are going to have to work at some configuration of words because you you can't do that too much. So I didn't think it was a big issue today, but I just think it pointed to potentially trouble ahead. And then I think on the the other attack they went for, which was this idea of this clip that was circulating from the Tory leadership contest. So we can hear a little bit of a hip. I managed to start changing the funding formulas to make sure that areas like this are getting the funding that they deserve. Because we inherited a bunch of formulas from the Labour Party that shoved all the funding into deprived urban areas. Then uh, they, you know, that needed to be undone. I started the work of undoing that. So this idea, as Labour wanted to spin it, as taking money from deprived areas and putting it in beautiful parts of the countryside is what they're trying to say when you look at that video. I think Rishi Sunak's reply, and I think he does have a reply to this, which is all around the country there are deprived communities. And this is actually, I think when you look at the video, Rishi Sunak spoke in a very clumsy way, which has made it easy for good Labour to go on the attack. I think his record in terms of some of the investment decisions this government made, he does have enough that he can formulate an answer to. So there is a hint of that. But I think that that is the main attack. That to me didn't seem as you know a knockout punch today. I think one of the problems with the video is, is the optics of he look he's sitting in what looks like a very nice garden when he's saying it. But I think it is worth remembering that actually one of the better moments that Rishi Sunak had over the summer was when he was attacked about this at the Manchester hustings. And he made the argument that he was, you know, he, yes, he was in Tunbridge Wells, but he was talking to people from Fanet who were there. And like, sadly, there are some really poor places all around the country. So the idea that levelling up is just something that applies to the North and the Midlands it is not an accurate view. I think the, the challenge is to, I think, find some way to upend the optics of the video, if you see what I mean, for him. Because, because in the video, it looks like he's in... Kent really does look like the Garden of England in, in, the, in the clip. And so I think it, that, that is the, the, the kind of challenge is to show that he was speaking about Fanet, not speaking about manicuring lawns in Tunbridge Wells. Now, Katie, the other big news from today is the delay of the medium-term fiscal plan. Of course, that had been brought forward from November to October, and now as we push back to November again. What was behind that decision? 
So I think it is a sign of Rishi Sunak's confidence that he has earned back some of the trust from the markets that was lost in the in the past six weeks or so since there are not so many budget that he felt able to delay it to mid-late November. Because if you remember, Kwasi Kwarteng initially was going to have the not so many budget and then his event in late November. And that became untenable because the markets effectively said, no, you need to tell us how you're going to do this now. We're not giving you the benefit of the doubt. So I think it was a sign of list. And then I think it's clearly because there are big decisions when it comes to this fiscal black hole, different estimates as to how large it is. Some reports saying today 35 billion, something it's more like 40, 45. And obviously it depends on different factors. But the decisions you're going to make around that aren't going to have a huge impact on what uh, people think of your government. And I think it shows that when Liz Truss appointed Jeremy Hunt, it was from a place of weakness and it was almost uh, Jeremy Hunt would have the final say on the economy. Even Penny Morden, when she was, uh, you know, discussing going for this role and vision was suggesting that she was going to have Jeremy Hunt basically make those most of those decisions for her. Rishi Sunak is not using Jeremy Hunt as his secret boss. I think that Rishi Sunak as a former chancellor will want to play an active role in what those decisions are going to be it's gonna be interesting to see how their relationship works exactly Mm. some people think Jeremy Hunt would be quite deferential to Rishi Sunak but also having a former chancellor's prime minister you don't are you going to enter this situation particularly given the crisis where they almost micromanage their chancellor I think that's one to watch but it's about I think having time to survey the situation and then work out what you really need to do in terms of spending cuts and tax rises rather than rushing into it. So, James, will there be tax rises then? I think that it is hard to see how... Look, the black hole, I think, is getting smaller by the day because government debt servicing costs are going down. But I think it is hard to see how you could do a fiscal consolidation of this size without some kind of combination of tax rises and spending restraints. I think the total lack of reaction today to the delay in the statement. Now, obviously, you shouldn't read too much into currency movements because the the, the dollar is having a bad day. But the fact the pound has not lost any value, you've not seen yield yield surge, shows that the the market spotlight, the hot breath of the market, is off the neck of the British government. The combination of Sunak and Hunt has left the markets feeling that they're not going to wake up to some unpleasant surprise on November the 17th. I also think it would have been bizarre to have gone ahead with this Halloween statement for one serious reason and one trivial reason. The serious reason is that the major measures have already gone to the OBR because they need that time to factor them in for their forecast. So you would be having a fiscal statement that would define the rest of this parliament without the new prime minister being able to say, hang on a second, I'd rather do this than that. The trivial reason is, and I mean, Katie was the first person to point this out in one of her eye columns, is doing this on Halloween just invites the headline writers to say <laughs> House yeah. of Horrors, this, that. It's kind of, I don't think I was the first, like, as in maybe, I mean, I, I was the first person to be so trivial, perhaps, as to make a big thing of it in a column as opposed to on social media. But again, it was just quite interesting because lots of very smart people, yeah. perhaps smarter than me, just didn't seem to think it was such a problem whereas I just think it's maybe just... they just don't celebrate Halloween maybe they don't mark it in their but, mean, but even, Hall- even Philip Hammond <laughs> even who I can't imagine as a, as a trick or treat kind of guy <laughs> even he decided that when he was transferred he moved the he, he moved a fiscal event from a Wednesday to a Monday to avoid Halloween based headlines Katie and James thanks very much and thank you very much for listening <laughs> 